What a way to finish the home and away season. This is Around the Water Cooler brought to you by Footy Live, the best live footy app for all your footy needs. 23 rounds down, one epic Sunday and one long week of no football like there is every year, except, of course, AFLW kicked off last night and you can follow all that action live as well in the AFL Footy Live app. Now, as we said, unfortunately, no AFLM action for the next couple of days, but it gives us enough time to take a deep, calm breath and just take a stock of what happened in that last day of round 23, 2022. Nikki G, as always, you're on board. You are the, you know, the expert in all things footy. You are the neutral in this situation. You don't break either of the sides, but can you talk me through the, the scenes? That was like the final day of the Premier League. Aguero-esque <laughs> scenes. Carlton Collingwood talked me through it. Yeah, it really was. And you could just not script, uh, script it better, if, even if you tried. I mean, 88,000 at the MCG. Um, I, I loved how the fans were also uh, separated um, at each end of the ground. So you had the Collingwood supporters at one end and the Carlton supporters at the other and. Whenever there was a goal kicked by one of the teams at the opposing end, it was like a soccer. It was like a soccer match. There was just no no opposition fans at that end of the ground. So <clears throat> the scene was set, and I mean, yeah, the the game itself was just incredible for Carlton to go goalless in the first quarter. You could feel the tension building around the MCG amongst Carlton supporters, and then they mounted their comeback. Obviously third quarter they're they're pretty they're not often good um in second halves carlton but you know eight goals in that third quarter they built up that 24 point lead at three quarter time um and at that point <clears throat> you're almost thinking like surely carlton can't drop this lead um it, it it was theirs for the taking with what was on the line you just couldn't see it happening and then like Collingwood have done all season, pretty much. Um, they rose from the ashes again, kicked five in a row. Carlton go goalless again. And Jamie Elliott again, he, he, he was the man for Collingwood. He's Mr. Clutch. The the amount of times he pops up to deliver for Collingwood. And I think when he was running into goal, um, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want the ball in anyone else's hands than Jamie Elliott. There, there was options open. I think he had Ginevan next to him. He had a player in the goal square. <clears throat> but he did the right thing and just backed himself in and went for goal. And, I mean, yeah, he, he is Mr. Clutch. And, I mean, I think everyone was thinking the same thing at one point. Carl- Collingwood, they surely couldn't do it again. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was just unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, we're all asking now, how, how do Collingwood keep doing it? But, you know, it was just... My thought straight after the game was that has to be one of the biggest chokes from Carlton of all time. Um, not just not just in the game, but just their whole season. Um, eight and two, they started. They were almost a lock for finals after ten rounds. Um, they were almost a top four lock. I don't think anyone saw uh, what was you know going to happen, and um, it, it was actually them earlier in the season. If you remember, they were the ones winning the close games and. Um, I mean, yes, they, there were injuries uh, late in the season for for Carlton, and um, but but even so, um, you still you still wouldn't have seen uh, this coming. The the last four rounds of the season, they lost to Adelaide. 
Um, that should have been a win. Um, that should have been the one that, you know, locked them in the top eight. The game against Brisbane, okay, that was pretty bad. And um, then they had Melbourne at the MCG and like that, you know, dropping that two-goal lead um, in the final minutes of that game. That was obviously heartbreaking. And then what happened against Collingwood. So the whole storyline around Carlton, unfortunately, it it is a bit of a choke. And um, yeah, they've become the first team in... Uh, to be in the eight all year um, until the final round to then miss the eight. I think they're the first team uh, for that to happen since uh, they did it in 1977. And, yeah, I mean, what what do you put it down to? They they missed so many opportunities in that last quarter, zero goal six. um, And I think it was Corey Durden as well. Um, I mean, there's, there's one minute left in the game. You've got the ball outside 50. Uh, probably like 55 metres out from goal. All you need is a draw for your team to play finals. So wouldn't you just, you know, boot the ball long, top of the goal square where Charlie Curnow is. He doesn't even need to try mark it, just spoil it through from behind. But instead, Durden goes for the chip kick and turns it over, and that pretty much cost them the game. It cost them finals, and um, yeah, it... Like I said earlier, it was just like a Hollywood movie script. I still can't believe it happened. So as you said, a Hollywood script. You couldn't believe it happened, but happened it did. And that becomes the first team since 1977 who was in the top eight or the finals for every Mm. round except for the last this season. Do you know who the other team was in 1977 that achieved that feat? The Blue Baggers. The Blue Blue Baggers, they do it to themselves again. As a Richmond fan, I actually think this is a comer for finishing ninth, but actually making finals and then knocking out Richmond in the first week of said finals. So, you know, sometimes you're just not not destined for finals football. As you mentioned, though, Collingwood are destined for finals football, and they are now sitting fourth on the competition despite having a percentage of only 104.3, the lowest of any team in the top eight, Lower than Carlton, ironically, who missed out by 0.6 of a percent on the top eight anyway. And uh, they also, Collingwood, have a lower percentage than Port Adelaide, who sit 11th. So as you said, you can't believe they keep winning. No one can believe they keep winning. We won't go into the preview just yet. But obviously, a lot of Collingwood fans are sick of hearing about this luck factor. Like, they just got lucky. They're winning games by small margins. They can't keep doing it forever. But gut feel... Would you be confident if you're a Collingwood fan going into next week against Geelong? Um, I don't. It's a hard one. I don't know if you can be confident. I don't know if confidence the word, but I mean, I guess you, you, you'd. I mean, you'd back yourself in that Collingwood have nothing to lose, and you know they they're going to be the ones, and all the pressures on Geelong as well, obviously with. Um, finishing top of the ladder and their previous um, uh, results in finals. So the pressure's on them to win the premiership and win first week in the finals. So, yeah, Collingwood, you wouldn't be confident. But um, I guess, yeah, with with their form and uh, the way they've been playing all season, they're just kind of riding this wave of momentum. And, yeah, they've got nothing to lose and they're going to play free attacking football. And, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good game. Absolutely, it will be a good game. It should be a very, very good finals series indeed. And so that is 
some of the good news, depending on which side of the ledger you fell on Sunday afternoon. But the better news comes from the unsung coaching story of uh, the weekend. Obviously, everyone will be talking about Brett. Ben Rutten, and we'll be talking about Ben Rutten too in due course, but what was the good news coaching story that caught your eye this week that obviously wasn't Clarko, Nicky G? Yeah, well, um, so yeah, Clarko goes to North and GWS go for Adam Kingsley, and I think this is a, a really good get for the Giants, actually. Um, he, he's He's got experience on his side, obviously hasn't been a head coach before, but he, he was St. Kilda's assistant for nine years, and then he was at Richmond, uh, since 2019, so he was there for um, uh, uh, a couple of their flags. So, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting as a Hawthorne supporter going through that three-peat era. We saw a lot of um, those Hawthorne assistant coaches, and I mean, everyone um, at the club just be stripped from us. Whoever's successful, whichever club's successful, they just get stripped completely. So Hawthorne lost the likes of Dimmer, they lost Beveridge, Fagan. Adam Simpson, the list goes on. They lost fit- fitness coaches, CEOs, everything. And now we're starting to see this at Richmond. Kingsley, Kingsley's one of them. Uh, uh, Craig McRae's another one. Peter Burge, um, the high-performance coach, he just signed with Hawthorne too. So um, it'll probably happen with Uz- uh, uh, Melbourne next. And Adam Uze, he was in the running for GWS coach too. But... Yeah, Adam Kingsley, I think, will be a really good get for the Giants. And, um, yeah, it leaves uh, very little out there, I think, for for Essendon. But, um, yeah, I mean, if I was Essendon, I'd probably go for Adam Uze now. But I think they're more they're, they're in for more of a, an experienced coach. But, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, who they bring in. But, yeah, good on the Giants. Yeah, and it's a very smart choice because I suppose the issue that they had with their with their young list is that uh, retention and the I suppose the the snap reaction that a lot of fans go well if you want to retain our players we need to have this big name coach they need to play play for the coach but I think having an assistant and a, a long term assistant like an Adam Kingsley who's seen a lot and had a lot more uh, personability with players in the day to day. Because obviously the head coach is in charge of the whole football department, basically. So the amount of contact hours you actually have with the head coach is quite limited. But with line coaches, you actually have a lot more time and contact. And so a lot of the players in the league will know Adam Kingsley already quite intimately. And he has that that nature that players love to, to spend time with him. And so I think if there is a bit of a cultural issue at GWS, which we've been saying for a while, it seemed to be the case that there's... yeah. Uh, they didn't really like it that much. They definitely didn't like their previous coach that much. The the way mm. they talked to each other, the way they treated each other, didn't seem to be the friendliest or inviting place to be. I think that as a, as a baseline, you'll see that improve under uh, Kingsley's uh, tenureship there. Mm. And hopefully, for the, for the sake of the AFL, for the sake of uh, stopping pouring in cash for no reason into that club, they can get themselves into final football, maybe even the top four, maybe even finally win a flag in a couple of years. It's, it's uh, definitely their... Definitely their time, yeah. Yeah, and hopefully definitely. a man like Kingsley, a perennial winner, can take them to the promised land. We haven't mentioned it yet, but there's a club in crisis, and it's not the North Melbourne Football Club. They're not off to Tasmania. Could we see the Tasmanian Bombers? Everything is going wrong. There's a clear out at the hangar. One of the proudest clubs in all the land is having its moment uh, left out in the sun for all the wrong reasons. But speaking of... Number ones, our number one super fan, Dario, has his digest for the last time in the home away season, and uh, here it is. Lads, 
Welcome to Dario's Digest, giving you something to digest every single week. But before I get into my question, how good is footy? How good is it knocking out the Blues by one point so that they make the finals? Amazing. What a weekend. However, my question for the week is, is there a place for James Hurd back at Essendon? Now, you get the funny feeling that Dario's quite happy about the demise of Essendon because you can hear that smile. He's taken down, his, his pies have taken down the blues. Essendon's next on the hit list, but uh, there's rumours, whispers, there's murmurs on all of the talk shows. And again, bye week means you have to fill in content. So there's lots and lots of rumours that won't amount to much. But how do you read the James Heard situation? And do you think Essendon is going to go back to their former favourite son? Well, he does, James Hurd does fall under the category of being experienced because I guess he has been a coach before at Essendon, but um, <laughs> he he's not the answer. This would be a massive step backwards uh, for, for Essendon as a football club um, if, they, if they can go any more backwards. But, I mean, right now the Bombers are looking for stability and I don't think bringing in James Hurd... Um, is all that stable of a move um, in all seriousness. It's just going to invite more pressure. Um, Obviously, a lot of people are going to disagree with the move. Um, Obviously, what happened around the the drug saga 10 years ago and just going down that path again, I mean, surely Essendon wouldn't be that stupid to do. So I'm not saying Hurd is a bad coach or doesn't deserve another opportunity, but... It, it can't be at Essendon. Surely it can't be at Essendon. Um, they they need someone with proven success or at least someone who has been at a successful club um, and and knows about, you know, creating a successful culture. That's what Essendon need. I'd, again, like I'd be targeting people that have been at Richmond, been at Geelong, been at Melbourne, been at... Uh, I don't think there's anyone left from Hawthorne a few years ago. But, yeah, definitely those three clubs, um, I'd, that's what I'd be doing. I think GWS made the right move, like I just mentioned, with Kingsley. Um, Uze still out there. I'd be going head and shoulders, um, full steam ahead at Adam Uze. Adam Uze. So, um, yeah, that's my take. I, I, I don't know about you, Gordo, but James Hurd just... That just reeks um, a bad move for me for for the Bombers. Yeah, and it kind of it would be just a stark reminder of why they're in this position in the first place. Like everyone is complaining at the moment about both Carlton and Essendon. Maybe they, you know, ten years down the track from their two massive uh, fiascos, one being the salary cap rot, one being the drug saga. They're like, maybe these two clubs got punished too 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 harshly. And the obvious answer is no, they didn't. They got punished as harshly as they deserved to be. And yes, they're still kind of trying to rectify those situations because that's the whole point. That's what the punishment mm. is there for. If you want to go and bring the game in disrepute and go that far outside um, the realms of normal practice, then that's what will happen and your club will struggle for a very long time. And I just think bringing back the person who, you know, allegedly was one of the masterminds behind it is... You know, people haven't seemingly got to the bottom of this story yet, but he was definitely at the helm when it happened. And that is why they're currently, you know, multiple thousands days outside of finals. And yeah, yeah, it's not saying he, as you said, it doesn't say that he's not a very good coach, not saying that he doesn't have the tactical nows to do it. And I just think like you, it should be at a different club. 
Now, mm. the question, though, if they want an experienced coach and you say that maybe Richmond is the answer, well, then do you go headhunting for Hardwick? Proven winner, can do it under duress, can do it with a rebuild, is an Essendon man from back in the day. Is he a favourite son? Probably not a favourite son, but definitely one. He's a, he's a, he's mm. a beloved cousin. Maybe, you know, one that comes around for family occasions three or four times a year. Yeah. Do you think they could pull it off? And do you think an experienced coach like a Hardwick, like a Hinckley, would even want to go anywhere near the Essendon Football Club? We'll be back after a quick break. Can they pull it off? It would be a mighty, mighty coup for them if they did uh, bring in Damien Hardwick or even Ken Hinckley. Obviously, they're tied to their clubs and, yeah, it would take something massive to bring them over. And, I mean, it would be a bit of a bombshell if Hardwick was to leave Richmond this off-season. I don't think it'll happen, but, um, yeah, absolutely. He's the right man for... Like, he would be, um, yeah, absolutely more than qualified to take over and probably uh, bring Essendon back to the glory days. Um, yeah, I, I think the, with, with the, the case with the Bombers, I've always said it, um, even when Clarko was um, still in the running for Essendon coach, there, there's, there's still a lot to like about Essendon as a football club. There's a lot of attraction about them. They, they have a young, promising list. Um, they, they have something of about four or five top 10 picks from the last three drafts. There is a lot to work with at Essendon. And I mean, more importantly, they, they have such strong foundations. They're one of the, the big four Victorian clubs that you could turn them into the next Richmond. You could turn them into the next Collingwood. Uh, the supporters are there. They can easily have a hundred thousand members, um, with a bit of on-field success. So, um, they could really become a force, um, and yeah, it's it's a massive challenge for a coach that walks in. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely still a lot a lot to like about Essendon, and yeah, if they bring in someone like, I mean, if Clarkson Clarkson was to go there, um, and he had full control over everything, and you know, turn the culture around. I reckon, you know, they, they could be, and obviously they made finals last year. They could, they could make finals again within the next couple of years, maybe even next season. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to wait and see who they bring in, but with the right person, I think they could be in contention for a premiership in the not too distant future. Well, a perennial Essendon lover, Mr. David King, statsman of SEN fame, says top four next year. If they just start playing some defence, <laughs> top four. And, you know, that man never gets it wrong. So there you go, Bombers fans. <laughs> Regardless of who the coach is going to be, you're going to be top four next year. Your seasons and seasons on the uh, Zeldrums will be over. Um, yeah, you're 100% correct. And I think I think almost with the rest of the clear out, if it had just been Rutten gets sacked and the, everyone else stays the same, same CEO, 
you know, same board, then you'd be like very cautious because like this board has not made many good decisions in the last yeah. few years, really, in in terms mm. of the uh, Walsfold handover. You know, can he talk at press conferences? All of their machinations of the club has been a bit skewy for the last, you know, four seasons, we'll say. But now they're all going as well. So you're getting you're getting nominated as the head coach. You'll probably get to select your assistants. You have the backing mm. of the of the new board. You have the backing of the new CEO because they're all fresh. Like you are you yeah. are part of their starting point progression mm. of this football club. And then you have all the benefits of a big football club. You've got a huge fan base. You've got lots of sponsors. Players want to like want to play for a big club. They want to play Anzac Day Clash. They want to play Dreamtime at the G. Like Essence still has all those yeah. games, all yeah. those fixtures. So there's lots and lots to work with. Um, but yeah, it'd be very interesting to see if they can grab any anyone with a lot of experience, or maybe they will have to just you know eat some humble pie and say, well, we'll get the best coach for the job. But it, it may not be Damien Hardwick. It may not be Ken Hinckley. It it may not be Adam Simpson. So. Mm. We'll have to wait and see. Speaking of can't getting always what you want, the All-Australian squad is everyone's favourite thing to complain about during the deldrum that is the bye week. And, uh, you know, kudos. A very low-key low affair this year. Not much uh, fanfare whatsoever uh, other than complaining about the number of Geelong Cats players in the actual Final 22. Uh, what did you make of the All-Australian team this year? Did you... Did you think they did a good job of making a, a selecting a team that could actually play a game, or was it still just uh, a bunch of uh, you know generic midfielders filling in roles that they shouldn't? Bit of both. I, I think that, that there was a bit of improvement this year around players playing in their actual position, being picked in their actual position. I mean, um, it still could have been done a little bit better, I think. But um, I mean, yeah, in terms of team selection, I'm not really one to really get frustrated over. Uh, players that uh, are selected and I don't really kick up a big fuss usually, but my goodness, Gordo, um, it really makes you wonder. <laughs> and I think you know what I'm talking about as well, but I don't know how they can select 20, uh, 22 players and James Sicily is not one of them, not even on the bench. Now, the coaches. The coaches had him as the number one ranked defender this year. He probably should have been the the first picked player in defense, in all honesty. Um, And yes, I'm suggesting he had a better season than Tom Stewart. He had a better season than uh, Taylor. He had a better season than anyone in that defense, really. Um, He was number one ranked for marks this season. Uh, I think he took about 30 more marks than second best. Uh, he he was also ranked number one for rebound fifties. Like I know he he played for Hawthorne. Hawthorne were pretty average this season, but I mean Sam Taylor still got picked and GWS finished below Hawthorne. Um, so obviously Sinclair as well at St Kilda. They didn't perform too greatly either. So I, that shouldn't really be an argument. And Sicily was just one of very few, I thought, who were very harsh, um, very harshly left out of the team. I think Jared Witts had a better year than Max Gorn. Um, I think Tom Barras was also a very good uh, key defender this year for the Eagles. And I probably, I'd have him in my um, All-Australian team for the season. Um, And one that really blows my mind is, again, is Rory Laird. Uh, one of the best disposal getters this season, one of the best tacklers this season. 
surely there is a spot for him on the bench. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just, they're, they're four players I thought were very, very harshly left out of the team. And um, I'm not too sure on Connor Rosie's inclusion as well. I mean, congratulations to him. Um, first All-Australian jacket. He did have a good year. Um, he moved into midfield uh, at um, in the early stages, but I mean to say that he had a better year in midfield than Rory Laird and Sam Walsh, even um, very very questionable. Um, and coincidentally, it was uh, Kane Corns's first year on the All Australian selection panel as well, so maybe that had something to do with it. But I'm not here to speculate. But yeah, I was very very. Um, I guess, yeah, surprised that a few of those omissions. Mm. And one person you didn't mention because they didn't even get selected in the squad, of course, was uh, Mr. Nick Dacos. And Nick you know, Dacos. runaway, runaway yeah. rising star of the year awardee and doesn't make it into the squad, let alone the team, even though basically, you know, he's been pivotal in mm. getting Collingwood into this win streak, into the top four, into maybe premiership contention. Yeah. And actually, there's a complete dearth of Collingwood players altogether, which means that, mm-hmm. you know, even even the greater Aust- uh, Australian rules selection committee doesn't believe that this Collingwood run is going to amount to much because, yes, as much as uh, Melbourne was on the slide, they got, what, six players in the squad, you know. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be much of a, a shout out there for the for the pies, but um, that is what it is. The other thing I've found, and also uh, Richmond fans love to get upset about things that you know that that upset them, and one is that Tom Lynch did not make the team despite having the most contested marks and mm-hmm. the most goals per game. Although he only played eighteen of the twenty three this season, would you have slotted him in there instead of maybe Jeremy Cameron, maybe Tom Hawkins? Because yeah. obviously, yeah. Keno being the common medalist means that he has to be in the team because that's just the rules. Yeah, well, I've put together my All-Australian team and I've got it in front of me. And yes, Tom Lynch is ahead of Jeremy Cameron. Um, obviously, I mean, Hawkins and Cameron dominated this season. Um, 59 goals each. Tom Hawkins had the assist to go with it. He was uh, second for assist this season. So um, I think his spot is well-deserved in the All-Australian team. But yeah, I mean, if I'm picking t- uh, between Lynch and Cameron... I'm probably leaning towards Lynch because of what you mentioned um, being the leading contested marker for the season. And whenever he did play, you can almost pin him down for three or four goals. So, um, yeah, he he should have been – he definitely should have been in the team as well. Um, I I don't like what they did with the forward line, how they put Charlie Curnow in the pocket, um, the Coleman medalist, um, who is obviously a full forward. He should have been full forward. I had Hawkins at centre-half forward. And then I had Lynch on the bench because I just don't believe in putting a key forward in the forward pocket. You you give that spot to the to the forward pockets who actually had very good seasons. And Stengel was one of them. Uh, Charlie Cameron was another, and he was another one that was left out. Uh, and yeah, but anyway, uh, that's, that's just the way they like to do things. They just like to squeeze everyone in... Um, as they like. So, yeah, I'm with you on that, though, with Tom Lynch. And the last one to really nitpick at a thing that doesn't, isn't, isn't that important, really. It's really great for the players. I'm sure they get a little bit of extra cash on their contracts if they make a little strain. It's a great jacket to have in your cupboard, but everyone prefers, you know, MVP awards, 
Brownlow medals and obviously Premiership glory. But should the captain of the All-Australian team be an actual captain of their team? Um, not, not necessarily. Um, I don't mind them picking... I mean, yeah, because it, it's, it's hard to, you know, distinguish uh, who, who is going to be captain of the All-Australian team otherwise. So I understand that because how, how, how do you make... What makes Hawkins the captain ahead of, say anyone else in the team, say like a Clayton mm. Oliver or, um, so I, I can understand that part, but then again, I mean, what if there was no captain in the all Australian team? I mean, no club captain, uh, then you'd be forced to pick your own captain. So I don't mind that. Um, yeah, it's not something that I'm really, uh, fussed about to be honest. And he, he was probably deserving as well. I know there was a lot of criticism around that, but he did have a good year. His team finished top of the ladder. Um, I've, I've got no real complaints about that. Um, what I do have a complaint about, uh, and it is a small nitpick, is they, they never seem to put uh, wingmen in the team on the wing. And I think it's unfair, you know, if, if you're a wingman uh, in the game, then you've almost got zero... I mean, you've got a very little chance of making the All-Australian team because when it comes to selecting the All-Australian team, you're essentially going up against... Uh, on ballers who are obviously going to be picked ahead of you. So um, I think everyone should have an equal opportunity of being picked in the team. And um, yeah, just because you're a wingman, that, that shouldn't cost you a spot um, in there. So they mm. should, I still think there's room to improve in selecting players in their position. And Josh Dacos was one that missed out. I think McCluggage was the other uh, wingman in the, in the squad. So uh, yeah, still, still a bit of room for improvement and yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's, it's harsh, but I think it's lost a bit of credibility, credibility this year, uh, with some of those players that have missed out. Absolutely agree. And the weird, uh, it'll never actually be able to happen because of, you know, workloads and injury concerns, but I'd love to have an all Australian team that the AFL selects and then an mm. all Australian team like or like the all-star team which then the fans select of what who is remaining so if you get the honor of being in the all-australian team then that's the team you're stuck with and then from the rest the fans get to pick the next best 22 and i have a funny feeling that just based on picking a team that would actually play the fans team would beat the selected all-australian team because looking at this team you kind of you, you see as you said like you know there are people that are stiff to miss, like you said with Sisley, like you said with Wits. But then you've also just got a very similar players. Like well, yeah, Mills, yeah. Oliver, Eccrips, and Neil, all on the same team, all, all getting the same midfield minutes. That's a, that's a very <laughs> inside, heavy like midfield setup. As you said, there's not a lot of women there, not a lot of outside players. It would be very, very interesting to see how that team would operate um, if the intention is to have you know balance and to play like an actual football team. Yeah. And, and and that's another thing as well. And I'm not suggesting uh, there's bias amongst the selectors, but the selectors are media personalities. Um, and ex- I mean, yeah, I think they're mostly pe- media personalities. And um, these people, uh, like Kane Corns, have, do have their allegiances to their teams. They do have their agendas that they talk about all season, i.e. Connor Rosie being better than Sam Walsh and all this sort of stuff. Um, So, I mean, it it made me think the other day and 
Um, I, I really like the way that the Premier League has it set out when they pick their team of the year. They, they have their Premier League team of the year, which is um, selected by the league officials or coaches or fans, I think, have a say in that as well. And then, you know, if media want to have their say too, well, then have a media awards night. Um, have a Herald Sun All-Australian team or have a Herald Sun team of the year or Herald uh, The Age or, you know, just separate it, have the media and have the official um, team, of the, team of the years. So probably it probably won't happen, but maybe something to think about. There we go. Something to think about indeed. And we have plenty of time to think about it because, as we said, the finals are still a week away. But we'll be back on Wednesday next week to preview the four big games and to just help carry you through to the end of the 2022 Premiership season. And uh, can the Pies do it? Can they go all the way? Or will it be someone else? Will it be the Doggies yet again coming from the outside late? We don't know. Neither do you. So join us next week to find out to preview all the games.